Well, ever since the 8th century before Christ, the temple in Jerusalem was seen as a place of God's particular presence, the very centre of the Jewish world, the place where heaven touched earth. And though that first temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC, rebuilding of that temple started some 30 years later. Now Herod the Great then modified the temple between 19 BC and 63 AD. So in the time where Jesus is teaching in the temple courts, the temple had already been being built for 46 years, but would continue on beyond his death. How awful then that the temple is completely destroyed in 70 AD, a destruction which Jesus, some 40 years earlier, predicted in these verses that we read today. See these fine buildings? It's all coming down. One who was greater than the temple was in their midst, but they couldn't see it. Though the temple in Jesus' day was meant to be the meeting place of heaven and earth, it had become corrupt. It wasn't functioning in the way it was meant to. It wasn't blessing people in the way God intended to bless people through it. Teaching in the temple courts, Jesus prepares his followers not to be put off with earthquakes, famines, riots, wars and rumours of wars. They were not to think of these events as being signs of the end. Rather, they were to see them as the birth pains of a new age, a new order breaking in. Breaking in into the midst of the pain and the darkness and the destruction that they would see around them. Nothing new comes without pain of some sort. Any mother who has given birth knows this better, better than anyone. Men like me will never know. We can only imagine what women have to go through. Man flu doesn't even come close. So perhaps we can surmise that nothing new comes without pain. The coming of the Messiah, the coming of God's kingdom, would shake things up so much that it would be painful for some to bear. God sent Jesus as the living breath of God to usher in the kingdom of heaven in a new age of the Spirit. As we read in Hebrews chapter 10, through a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. This new age of the Spirit is beyond space and time. The particular place that was the temple was no longer to be seen as the only place where people could meet with the Divine Spirit, who is God. People could now draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having their hearts sprinkled to cleanse them from a guilty conscience and having their bodies washed with pure water. Those words from Hebrews 10 seem to suggest that baptism and faith would be all that would be needed in order to access the divine. The prophets had spoken about this day coming too, the day when the ways of God would be written on the human heart and on the mind. It would no longer be necessary for people to be taught God's ways. They would instinctively know the ways of God. The temple had had its place as a form through which people could discover God, 
but it was only ever meant to be a temporary vessel or a vehicle to make that happen. It itself was not the thing. Only God is the thing. And if the vessel stops doing what it was set up to do, to point to God, then it need to be torn down. Hence what Jesus said. I think the problem with seeing the temple as the only real sacred space was to imply that all other spaces were not sacred. The implication of that is that God is no longer everywhere, he's restricted to certain places. That can't be right. That's idolatry. That's making certain places into idols. There's no doubt the church has done this in the past, and to some extent is still doing it. So much so that, like those first disciples, we often can't bear the thought of buildings being altered, closed, let alone the whole lot come crashing down. I remember reading something that Rob Bell wrote in which he said the whole thing is a temple. I think he's right. There isn't a divide between the sacred and the secular. It's not helpful for us to think in those dualistic terms because that's when we start to say that God is limited and we begin to categorise places and people in terms of their spiritual importance. And whilst I believe that some places are thin places, like the island of Iona, for example, I believe too that all places can be thin because every place has the potential to be a place where God the Spirit can touch the human spirit. It's helpful to think that every experience in life can be an encounter with the divine, that all of life is sacred. An example of this might be found in Jesus' use of the parable in Matthew 25, when he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In other words, God, the king in the story, is present in that everyday encounter. So here's what I think we need to do. We need to let divisions come crashing down. We need to stop thinking of the world in terms of a divided world, where some jobs are more holy than others, where some callings are more holy than other callings, where some spaces are more sacred than others, where prayers said in church are more holy than the groans we give in the night or the awe we feel at the, feel at the sight of a sunset. It's all sacred. It's all holy. God is present in everyone, everywhere. There's nowhere in creation that God can't be. There's no situation God can't take part in or change for good. Let's not think that only things done in the church building matter most. Let's begin to see that we can discover God in everyone, everywhere. Let's be involved in local community groups as well as groups which make use of the church buildings. Let's go from here to discover the presence of God in all of life, in every person we meet, in every place, in all of creation, because everything is spiritual. And let's remember too that we carry the living presence of the risen Christ with us into whatever situation we go into. His presence in us is making us fully ourselves, and is making us to be part of the gift of God to one another. So let's spur one another on to love and good deeds 
and not give up meeting together. In the name of our life-giving, loving God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.